This is Ed Stetzer Live, and every Saturday we have the joy of coming to you, having conversations about things that matter, and we're going to continue doing that uh, very thing today. And so excited that you're here. Let me remind you, as always, that you can listen to Ed Stetzer Live via podcast. Go to edstetzerlive.com. A couple of clicks, you're through the Moody Radio app. You can actually listen to all of our programs, and we have some great programs here at Moody Radio, but you can listen to all of them through the app and listen. Uh, well, a word we all learned in the last few years, asynchronously. You're listening synchronously, probably, if you're listening Saturday. Wherever you are, uh, 150 outlets across the country. If you're listening not Saturday, then you're listening asynchronously, and others can do that as well. There's oftentimes a topic, someone will say, well, I want to hear that again. Well, you can. You can just re- literally go to the app, and all the programs are preserved there for to share as well. Today's topic is... Um, is going to be, uh, well, based on a conversation of a new book called God, Sex, and Your Marriage. Now, that being said, I want you to hear that the topic today, if you're driving down the road, you got your kids in the car seat, and the topic today is God, Sex, and Your Marriage. So you could at this point say, I'm going to subscribe to the podcast and listen later in my headphones. Um, Or you could say, I'm going to have this conversation. This is a great conversation. It's an important conversation for us today. The world is giving us all kinds of lies, uh, bad information, destructive information about sex and sexuality. And so I'm glad today to have Julie Slattery join me. Julie is a clinical psychologist, author, speaker, uh, president and co-founder of Authentic Intimacy. From 2008 to 2012, Julie served at Focus on the Family. Our friends at Focus have been a help in so many areas for so many of us. Uh, she served at Focus on the Family, writing, teaching, and co-hosting the Focus on the Family broadcast. In 2012, she left Focus to start Authentic Intimacy, a ministry devoted to reclaiming God's design for sexuality. And in 2020, she launched SexualDiscipleship.com. Yep, that's a webpage, SexualDiscipleship.com a platform designed to help Christian leaders navigate sexual issues and questions with gospel-centered truth. And it's not the only book she's authored. She's actually authored uh, 12 other books, 12 books, including the newly released God, Sex, and Marriage, and host of the weekly podcast Java with Julie. Julie, thanks for joining us here on the program. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Sounds great. we got a good connection. That's a win. See, you're a radio pro, so you've got all your equipment and everything. Great, great, yeah, great you, stuff. You know so. how technology, sometimes it just doesn't even work as much as you use it. So glad to have a connection today. Indeed. Good to connect with you as well. So let's start with some of the basics. And of course, we're, we're talking in and around your book, God, Sex, and Your Marriage. But one of the things you talked about is you have, um, you know, designed a platform to be, help people kind of understand and to use the language on your page, reclaiming God's design for sexuality. So please tell me, uh, what do you mean by God's design for sexuality? Well, part of what I mean is that typically when we talk about sexuality from a godly perspective, we talk about the rules. We look at the passages and argue over what this word means and that word means, and we're looking at behavior. But what my heart is and what I've learned over the last decade of ministry is we have to go a whole lot deeper than that and just even begin with the knowledge that God created our sexuality. He designed sex for a purpose. What is his heart for our sexuality? Why do those rules appear in scripture? But even more importantly, what does it look like for him to do the redemptive work in a life, in a marriage, in a culture so that we're actually looking to invite him to reclaim territory, not just to clean up our actions. Uh, And so I just have really enjoyed over the last decade integrating 
discipleship concepts and the truth of the gospel with how they connect with all the different sexual questions and areas of pain that people encounter so that it doesn't feel like a one-off in the Christian life, but actually an extension of the core things that we believe. Yeah, good, good, good. And and again, it's not that, I mean, sometimes people, they go to church maybe their whole lives and they don't hear talk, discussion, teaching on issues of sexuality. And then in the world, it's often surrounding, it's pervasive, it's on every billboard and every commercial. Um, do Christians need to talk more, less? How, how might we think about talking about sex in church and in Christian settings? Yeah, we definitely need to talk more, but we also need to talk differently. So we have to look at the patterns of how we've talked about sexuality, and it really has been rule-based. Uh, there's a lot of conversation today about uh, just pushing back on purity culture and how, while that may have been well-meaning, it's actually created some harm and confusion for people. So I don't think it's just a matter of turning up the volume. It's it's pressing more deeply into the larger truth of scripture as it relates to our sexuality. Uh, and there's a great need for that. I don't think it's just more sermon series on what not to do and what is sexual sin. We, we need those, but more importantly, we need to understand the why. Why did God create us as sexual people? Why do we experience so much pain and confusion in this area? What does his redemption look like in our lives? That's the kind of conversation that we need. Well, let's start having that conversation. I love it. So why? So why did God create us this way? And where does this, where does sex and sexuality fit into who we are? Yeah, I think we have to look at the whole narrative of scripture from Genesis to Revelation to answer that question. And Ed, what we really see in the Bible is we see that everything God created, he intentionally created in order to reveal. So everything in the natural world from trees to skies to mountains to uh, interpersonal connection to hunger and thirst, we see in the scripture that the physical reveals the spiritual. And I, I believe the same thing to, to be true with sexuality. We see throughout the narrative of scripture that sexuality is a physical experience that reveals the nature of how God loves and pursues his covenant people. And so if you ask, why did God create us as sexual people? It's so that we would have a physical experience of what it is to be in covenant love. And that's a very kind of high lofty thought. But when we really begin to break that down as to understanding what is sexual wholeness, what is sexual brokenness, what is God's heart for our redemption, we can make that very practical. Yeah, yeah, good. And I like that. I like us having some of these practical discussions as well, because I, I think this is an important issue. I don't know uh, many people who have not had to have a conversation about or thought through or think through uh, issues of sexuality. And so I think we're going to have a good conversation today that people will find helpful. Um, you know, I, I guess we're, we're talking a PG, PG-13 conversation, so people don't need to be too particularly nervous. But this is also the conversation we're having today is going to be far less uh, specific than uh, the conversation you'd see on a basic television commercial nowadays. Mm -hmm. uh, let me give you the call-in number. It's 877-548-3675. Again, it's 877-548-3675. We're talking to Julie Slattery. We're talking about her new book, God, Sex, and Your Marriage. And we're going to invite, uh, invite your calls. Maybe you've got questions, you've got comments. We don't normally do uh, anonymous calls, but if you want to say and say, you know, I'd rather not share my name, but here's my question, my comment, that's okay in this program. Again, our number is 
3675. Tell us a little bit about your work you've been doing really the last decade on biblical sexuality. Yeah, I, I really sensed about a decade ago that God was calling me to step into the space of navigating sexual issues, beginning with just working with women. I saw that Christian women were just so confused and uh, hurt around areas of sexuality, and we really weren't getting in the trenches with them, whether it was uh, recovering from sexual trauma or betrayal in marriage or struggle with pornography, uh, same-sex attraction. Uh, single women who are just wrestling with their longings, uh, sexual shame. I could go on and on with all these different symptoms that really pointed to the fact that we didn't know how to integrate what we believe about the Christian life to our sexuality. And so um, so started this ministry a decade ago and really have been on a learning journey myself of not being afraid to ask the questions and not being afraid to read the Bible from cover to cover and really seek God's heart related to our sexuality. So the ministry has sort of morphed over time, addressed different things as culture has brought them to our forefront, whether it be the Me Too movement or conversations around gender, the LGBT, and now work with men and women and just churches and leaders in terms of how to how do we reframe these conversations in a way that actually presents a compelling narrative of God's love? How do we address issues of sexual sin and immorality, sexual brokenness, without it feeling like we're dividing people into categories of the pure and the impure? Um, So it's been quite a journey, and I'm still learning. It's a joy just to be able to pass down what God is teaching me uh, and dialogue with people on the questions that they have around sexuality. Good deal. Good deal. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment with Julie Slattery. Give us the opportunity to sort of press in on some of your questions as well. Uh, Let me remind you that we have a phone number. You can ask some questions. You can follow along the conversation online uh, or on the radio, but you can also join into the conversation at 877-548-3675. We're actually, after some great calls, we're going to give away a few copies of her book, God, Sex, and Your Marriage. As well, again, 877-548-3675. Politics brings more division than ever, and social media is moving many to be less social and more critical. Those with Christian views are also often being dismissed. Well, what if the rise of secularism, though, is good news for the church? Throughout history, these times of decline traditionally precede powerful spiritual renewal, even revival. You need to read Mark Sayer's book, Reappearing Church, The Hopeful Renewal in the Rise of Our Post-Christian Culture. Get a copy of Reappearing Church today at moodypublishers.com. Hey, we're back. Ed Stetzer Live. I, I guess I should introduce myself. I'm Ed Stetzer. I'm actually the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, dean here at Wheaton College. I'm broadcasting from our Wheaton College studios today. And I did say Wheaton College four times because Julie Slattery is also a graduate of Wheaton College. And she spoke here, uh, did a series, a lecture series for us on campus. And so thankful that she came and did that as well. But she's known globally around issues of uh, sexuality, biblical sexuality, a term people are using and she's using. But she's a clinical psychologist, author, speaker, and president and co-founder of Authentic 
Intimacy. Again, I mentioned earlier the website, asexualdiscipleship.com. You can find all the links to her ministry, to those websites, all at edstetzerlive.com. Easy to find there. As always, we put them in the show notes as well. Uh, we have some calls coming in. We're going to jump on some of them in just a moment. Let me invite your calls as well, 877-548-3675. I know the people who have questions in and around areas like this. Um, Julie, so Donna and I have been married for a long time. We were high school sweethearts. Um, we... Uh, went to the prom together, got married at 20 while we were still in college, uh, sought to honor the Lord in four years of dating, uh, walked into uh, a marriage. And, you know, we hear a lot of stories like that where people people waited and had all these high expectations and and those expectations were dashed. And 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 yet for for us, it was a it was a good and meaningful experience. And so um, and, and and continues to be. So so how do we how do we kind of reconcile that people's experience, and let's start with marriage, intimacy, and sexuality in marriage, that people's experience seems to not be according to one playbook? And shouldn't we all, if we honor the Lord, if we waited till marriage, and, and again, I'm, I, we're going to talk about some of the different paths here, but and, and then we get married, shouldn't it just be just a life of beautiful sexual, sexual intimacy? And how might we think about that? Oh boy, that would be nice if it were that simple. And uh, your story is a beautiful one. It certainly is true that when we save sex for marriage, first of all, that is honoring God's plan. And the Bible tells us that God blesses obedience. So that's true. But the way he blesses obedience, the way that might look in marriage is a really individual. And this is not just true in our sex life. It's true with everything. Like we would never tell Christians, like, as long as you honor God through high school and college, God is going to open up this fabulous career for you. You're never going to have any setbacks. You're never going to have a bad boss. Like we would never promise that because life is life and we are all on individual journeys. And part of living in a fallen world means that we experience brokenness in our bodies. We experience desires we have that go unmet and we experience the sin nature within ourselves. And so Everybody and every couple's sexual journey is going to be different. And is it a good thing if, if we can preserve sex for the covenant of marriage? It is not only a good thing, it's a godly thing, but that doesn't translate into as long as I was a virgin on my wedding day. First of all, I've honored God in every area of my sexuality. We can have very lustful hearts while restraining our behavior. But second of all, like I mentioned earlier, God's blessing for our obedience is not necessarily going to translate into you're going to have a great sex life. Uh, so I think, again, we need to um, kind of unravel some of this and teach more of what's true without offering false promises. Yeah, and I would tell you, as a young pastor, I didn't do that. I, I had to learn later that people were faithful to the Lord and had uh, different, often problematic experiences um, as well. So, so what then? You, let's say you have a couple comes to you and says, you know, we love each other, we've been married, and we're really struggling in our sex life. Um, is that a common conversation for your clinical psychologist? Is that a common conversation with you? And what advice or counsel do you give? Yeah, well, boy, it's very, very common. Uh, and I would say that probably, uh, this is just my guess, probably 85 to 90% of couples will say that there's some struggle in their sexual relationship. And that can look as different as we just have mismatched desires. One of us likes sex a lot more than the other. It can be the result of trauma, whether it be sexual trauma or emotional kind of relational trauma from the past. It can be a struggle with pornography or sexual addiction. 
It can be your body just isn't responding or you're not communicating. And so when you look at all the things that can get in the way of really a thriving sexual, sexual intimacy, there's all kinds of barriers. And I would say one barrier, a huge barrier, which I really wanted to address in this book is that we think about sex wrong. We have a wrong goal. And if you have a wrong picture of what health looks like, when you encounter problems, you don't even know how to move forward. So that is very common. And I think before giving any advice, what I'd want to do is ask a whole lot of questions and really get to the root of what are the barriers? How is this couple even thinking about and defining a good sex life? Because again, we don't know what wholeness is until we really define that appropriately. Hmm, fascinating and important. Okay. Well, we've got some, I've got some questions for you, but also want to go to some of the callers. I want you to, in just a minute, we're going to talk about the four pillars that you mentioned, but I think this may lead into uh, some of that conversation. So we're going to go to Glenn in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Great town, by the way, with a great history, steel industry and beyond. Uh, Glenn, well, you go ahead with your question and your comment. You're live on the air. Yes. Um, I don't even know where to start. Uh, I guess I'll start with a warning to parents, especially fathers, to not bring pornography in the house. Because I found my father's pornography when I was 10 years old. And it started out as magazines, then it wound up being eight millimeter videos. And I would actually cut class in grammar school to go watch these videos. That's how ingrained and powerful they were in my life. I believe that sexual addiction is the strongest, most detrimental addiction on the planet. Mm. Mm. Mm, well, good. Thank you for and, your call, Gary. I appreciate it. Oh, you had more to say? Go ahead. Go ahead and finish up. Um, it took me, actually, I went through formal training in Bible college for five years, did an internship at a church for a year. Uh, went through two marriages because of pornography. Um, and if you listen to Dr. James Dobson, when he interviewed David Berkowitz in prison, who shot all those people in New York who were lovers, you know what his root problem was, why he did that? It was pornography. Hmm. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Let, let's talk some about that. Um, I, I think the, how do we think of pornography? Gary, thank you for your call. Matter of fact, Gary, if you'll hold on, we want to give you a copy of Julie's book, which which does address some of these issues as well. Uh, again, we'll give you a copy of God, Sex, and Your Marriage. If you'll just hold on, our producer will come on the line. So, so Julie, I mean, pornography, you talk about it in the book. Talk, how's this play in? Where does this fit in? Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, we re- we need to realize why pornography is so prominent in our day and age. And the obvious answer is the internet, the smartphone, you know, those, those obviously make pornography so available and compelling. But also there's a narrative that ex- to some extent, every one of us has bought into and believed, which is you were made to be a sexual person so that you could find ultimate fulfillment you need to explore your sexuality. You need to express it the way that you think is going to bring you the most pleasure. And you should feel free to uh, just explore sexuality in a way that makes you happy as long as it's not hurting another person. This narrative is so compelling in our culture. 
and has really been adopted, I think, even by a lot of church culture. We just Christianize it so much so that pornography can actually be seen by our world as kind of a good. So instead of teenagers going out and experimenting sexually with each other, pornography is sort of presented as a semi-safe way of finding out who you are sexually. And, um, and pornography releases incredibly powerful hormones in the brain. Uh, Gary said that this is the worst kind of addiction. In some ways, it, it, you could make that argument because it is, it is using your natural sexual response, which God created to be very powerful. It's using it against you. Uh, and the, the ripple waves of pornography, uh, you just cannot overstate them. You know, as Gary mentioned, in extreme cases, it leads to rape, sexual assault, violence against people. But even if that's not happening, it's training your brain to think about sex as something that you deserve. You deserve to have it how you want it. And it trains you to see another person as an object to be consumed. And so even a Christian couple gets married, maybe one or both of them have a history of pornography use. They're going into marriage and asking God to bless this sex, sexual relationship, but they don't know how to switch their mindset from, I deserve pleasure, I get to consume my spouse, to no, this is actually a celebration of covenant love. Uh, and so working with couples, that's why I say it's so critical to get to the root of how they think about sex and how they got there. And pornography is certainly one of the worst ways that we're learning about sex that's, that's really propagating the wrong thinking. Yeah, and so incredibly pervasive today. You know, when I was a kid, you'd have to find a magazine like like Gary talked about. Uh, today, it's just you know, it's one click, just one click away. I think. And Gary, thank you for your call. I didn't hear James Dobson interview David Berkowitz. I did hear the interview with Ted Bundy, and I'm not sure if he mm -hmm. also did a conversation with David Berkowitz. But the interview with Ted Bundy did talk some about those issues of pornography and more. Um, let's continue to take some calls. Um, let's let's go to uh, Anonymous in Chattanooga. Uh, on line three, and uh, you're live on the air with your question or your comment. Go ahead. Um, hi, I'm not familiar with the radio program per se, but I'm thankful for everything you guys do. And Julie Slattery, I am familiar with you. She's I awesome. Don't even know what you. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what you guys were talking about. But as soon as I heard your name, I was like, I have to call um, yeah. because I've I've read a few of your books and. Um, I have a rare love story. You know, we've been, I guess, you know, we fell in love. It's 13 years old puppy love and we're now 27 and 28 and we've got two kids and, um, we've been through crazy things, bad things, drug addictions, alcohol addictions, um, come through that and, um, you know, made mistakes and whatever. And I, I'm trying to make this as short as I can, but, um, we were virgins and we were going to wait and, you know, teenage hormones took over and it happened, but we've only ever been with each other. We've never had any affair issues or anything like that, but my sex drive is just not existent. <laughs> and like, there's times before I don't mean to be, I'm not shy at all. So I'm just going to say that, you know, during my week of ovulation, I'm, usually like all for it um but then most of the time i'm just like you know i'm cool just like hanging out 
And it bothers me because I really want to be that for my husband and his is like through the roof. It always has been. And there was a season in our marriage before we had kids where he was told so many no so many times because I had endometriosis and a lot of times it was painful for me. Um, And yeah, he was told no so many times that I think it just kind of broke his spirit and he just kind of like had to convince his mind that um, Mm. this just isn't going to be a part of my life. And so after children, I feel like, you know, the endometriosis kind of went away and I think that it kind of like came back. And so it's more frequent than it was, but I still just, I see it breaks his heart when I'm not as passionate about it as he is. And I don't know what to do about it. Like, I want to be there for him. And I just sure. don't well, know how to fix yeah, it. Let's, let's, let's hear Julie weigh in on this, but I want you to also hold on the line afterwards because we want to give you a copy uh, of Julie's book. And again, I think you have some of them, but let's also give you a copy of God's Sex and Your Marriage. But Julie, this, this is not an uncommon situation. Could un- unpack for, walk this through with us. Yeah, boy, it's not uncommon at all. Um, just a few things that I'd mention. First of all, a lot of women have what we call receptive sexual desire instead of initiating desire. And so a, a woman like this one is sharing, you may be somebody who never thinks about having sexual intimacy or in, or initiating with your spouse. But once there's an initiation and you get your mind there and you can really think about being with your husband now your body can begin to respond. And that's really, really common with women. And so one thing I would encourage this dear wife to do is to really work on not just feeling bad that I don't initiate, but how do I start thinking about this as a regular practice, whether it be that we're scheduling intimacy or uh, we're really just diving into how do we build intimacy in our marriage. Um, I'll say one yeah, more thing really quick. Let me hold that one, one, one second, and we'll continue this conversation in just a moment with Julie Slattery. Thanks. Stay with us. Okay, we're back, continuing our conversation with Julie Slattery. And that bottom of the hour break is a hard break. So sorry, Julie, had to end that briefly there, but I'd like you to kind of continue. This is, I think this is a very important part of the conversation. We had an anonymous caller from Chattanooga uh, talk about maybe the the difference in in sexual desire between her husband and and her, and uh, specifically she's saying that she maybe had lost a lot of that that drive and the desire that she had earlier, and Julie was sharing uh, some of the details there, and you were going to continue. Please go ahead, Julie. Yeah, no problem. So, so first of all, as I mentioned, uh, I think really trying to get your mind there is a huge part of what women need to focus on. Um, but the other thing that I think is so critical is distinguishing between sexual activity and sexual intimacy. And uh, this again kind of goes with where we don't think more deeply about sexuality. Even in Christian marriages, it becomes all about the act and who wants to have the physical act of sex more often. Whereas sexual intimacy is the whole journey of sharing your sexuality with each other. And it includes um, non-sexual touch. It includes flirting. It includes um, conversation about what sex means to you and uh, some of the shame that we might bring into um, the marital relationship. It includes the communication, not just about whether or not you want to have sex, but what does initiation mean to you? What does it feel like when, when I say no for a reason? And how do we have those conversations in a way that's more sensitive to each other? And again, that's a big heart behind why I wrote this book, because I think 
we are so stuck on the physical act of intercourse. We don't think about the richer journey that, that sexuality is meant to invite us to. And, uh, and so often it's the woman actually that really wants the deeper, richer intimacy that sex invites us to. But because we're so focused on the act, we miss those opportunities to build intimacy, even when for a season, like because of physical illness or, or sexual pain, intercourse isn't op an option. Well, what does it look like for us to build sexual intimacy, even if we can't have that specific activity? Let me invite your calls. Again, we're at 877-548-3675. Talking to Julie Slattery. Uh, we're talking in around her book, God, Sex, and Your Marriage. And uh, she's launched sexualdiscipleship.com. Uh, and uh, well, Java with Julie's her podcast, all of that, you can find at edstetzerlive.com and more. Okay, you kind of talked, well, in your book, you talk about this and sort of getting close to talk about that just a moment ago. But um, duty sex, um, you know, mm -hmm. we talk about 1 Corinthians 7, don't deprive one another. Um, so how has that become a destructive narrative for Christian marriages? Boy, I think it's really destructive because it, it takes the heart of sex and really twists it. If sex was meant to be the celebration of covenant love, the kind of love that God has for us, the kind of love that Christ has for his church, where do we get to the place where now we're demanding from one another? We're worth withholding from each other. And I think we have to understand that passage that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7 within the context of, first of all, the whole letter of 1 Corinthians, which is really a Q&A with the Corinthian church. But second of all, certainly within the whole canon of scripture, uh, the, the whole theology of sex and love within scripture. And when we look at everything the Bible says about love and about marriage and about our sexuality, we have to now put that into those verses in 1 Corinthians 7. What Paul is saying is sex is a very powerful force and it's an important part of marriage. But what I'm calling you to is serve, to serve each other, to minister to one another sexually. That doesn't just mean, for example, the wife that doesn't want to have sex, giving it to her husband out of duty or obligation. It also means the bigger picture. It means the husband being sensitive to that wife and saying, how do I understand my wife's emotional needs? How do I understand maybe her reluctance to engage sexually? How can I be sensitive to her? And so we need to read 1 Corinthians 7 with the light of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is in the same letter. What if we applied that to our sex lives? That love is patient in bed. Love is kind in bed. Love does not demand its own way. Uh, it's not boastful. And, uh, and so when we really look at the heart of Christ, when we look at the call to love one another well, that has to be the larger picture of what we're working towards in sexuality. And Ed, there are so many really tragic situations that I hear about where, uh, where a man will use this passage and lord it over his wife and even say, if you don't give me what I want, I have the right to go outside of the marriage because mm -hmm. you're not meeting my needs. And boy, what a distortion from the heart that God calls us to have. When we read Ephesians chapter five, and God is saying to a husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church and laid himself down for her. Uh, and that's the heart attitude that God wants both the husband and wife to have as they're navigating difference in their sexual relationship. So verses like better to marry than to burn are things that you hear um, 
Uh, people, you know, talk about maybe even getting married sooner because better to marry than to burn. And it's not exactly the most romantic way, or, or you might talk about that, that, you know, mutual intimacy. How do we look at a passage like that? Yeah, I think we look at it as God gave us sexual desire. It's a good thing. It's meant to draw us into a covenant relationship, which requires us to sacrifice a lot for each other. Uh, and it's good that God has given us desire or no one would get married. No one would take those vows. Uh, and so we recognize the power of the sexual desire, both for men and for women. But then we also realize that there is a, a stewarding of that desire, not just as a single Christian, but also as a married Christian, uh, that we we come to the marriage relationship, not just saying I should get everything I want, but as I, as a Christ follower, am surrendering my life to the Holy Spirit, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. Uh, and it's, it's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's gentleness, it's kindness, it's goodness. Uh, and that spiritual development should also be transforming how we steward those sexual desires, not denying them, but navigating them together uh, in the context of love. And that's why I think it's so critical that we not just talk about sexual morality, but we're really teaching Christians, how do we become sexually mature? What does mature sexual love within a covenant marriage look like? And I feel like that's what's really been missing in our teaching in the church. And part of what you want to address more clearly, again, Julie Slattery is our guest. Her book is God, Sex, and Your Marriage. Let's go to Chris in Riverside, California, in the Inland Empire there. Chris, you're listening on K-Wave, I'm guessing. What's your question or your comment? Hi, uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I just want to start by saying um, I'm really appreciative of you guys having these type of dialects, these type of um, open dialects that are mentally stimulating. It's really appreciative. So um, this question is from Ms. Julie. Um, I was I was listening, and um, she was mentioning that a lot of children kind of assume that maybe pornography would be like a safer route than actually practicing sex and going out there and stuff like that. But is is one is one worse than the other? Like is pornography worse than hypersexuality? Um, I have a degree in um, social psychology. And um, like my little cousins kind of asked me similar questions like that, like, hey, well, you know, would it be better just to do this or, you know, actually practice? And, you know, coming from a Christian standpoint, I really don't know exactly how to word that and how to say it. So I was hoping you guys can kind of shed some more light. Can, can I just just for clarity, are you saying if, if the comparison is or the decision is between whether looking at pornography or going out and being sexually active? Is that what you're saying? Is there which is better between those two? Yes. Yes, because like I've I've heard this type of thing before, and even when I was in high school, um, you know, I will admit that I, I did look at pornography, but um, I had the same type of impression that hey, um, you know, this might be safer than actually going out and practicing sex. So I was just wondering, is there like one worse than the other, or mm-hmm. how does it really? Yeah, let's like let's have effect? let's have Julie weigh in, and if you hold on the line too, we want to give you a copy um, of her book. And, and again, it's God, Sex, and Your Marriage. So, Julie, uh, not a, not a question um, that uh, is uncommon. I've actually heard this uh, variations yeah. of this question before. So, yeah. how do you answer? Yeah, that would be like me saying to a twelve-year-old kid, instead of trying coke, why don't you just get drunk on bourbon? You know, it's like, okay, is one, as far as the consequences, potentially less dangerous? Yes, perhaps, but both are wrong uh, in God's eyes and both are highly destructive 
and can ruin your life. And I would say the same is true um, when we talk about pornography versus sexual experimentation. First of all, both are outside of God's design for why he created sex. And so both are stepping willfully into sin or, or giving license to uh, to our desires that are not from not being stewarded by by a godly character. Um, so there's a spiritual issue of that, but then also what the scripture says over and over again in different ways, what you sow, you're going to reap. You can't go against God's design and not experience some fallout, even, either as individuals or as a culture. And we see that everywhere around us. It, it, you know, you will not meet a 40-year-old man who started looking at porn when he was 12, who's saying, Porn is a porn was a good thing. It's the best thing that ha- could ever ever happen to me. Like nobody's going to say that because they realize it hijacks your brain, even to the point where when you are in a marriage relationship, you can't enjoy sex just with your spouse. In many cases, men cannot even be aroused by a normal human being once their brain has been fed pornography. So, uh, so I hope that gives some clarity that we're not at all saying that. Uh, one is less worse than the other. We might be saying one has not as obvious immediate consequences, but they both lead to destruction. Mm. And I would say, Chris, it's a good question. I think it's a question that probably people outside of the Christian faith probably would answer that question differently, uh, talking about some of the consequences of a life, lifestyle that engages multiple sexual partners versus pornography. But as followers of Jesus, we actually think that sexual activity outside of marriage, lust and more, is outside of God's will and God's design. But appreciate your question, too. We're going to hold on and give you a copy of that book. We're going to take your calls. One more segment, 877-548-3675. Hey, you're listening to Ed Setzer Live. Julie Slattery is our guest. And we have an important conversation. If you just joined us, it's, uh, it's a, you know, it's a PG, PG-13 conversation, but... Uh, we're talking about sex and sexuality and marriage. Um, God, sex, and your marriage is Julie's new book. She's a clinical psychologist, author, speaker, and president and co-founder of Authentic Intimacy. All that is linked over at edstetzerlive.com, including her website, sexualdiscipleship.com. We're taking your calls, but you got to call now, 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. Three six seven five. Uh, let's go to an anonymous caller in Illinois um, on line two. Uh, you're going to be live on the air. Go ahead. Yes. Hello. Um, this is a difficult, very, very difficult topic and conversation for me to have. So thank you for for welcoming it. Um, Ten years into a 25 year old marriage, um, we had our second child born with significant issues. It sort of when our marriage, we started to have a disconnect between my husband and I. And shortly thereafter, we were confronted with what has turned into a chronic illness for me. When my husband started blaming me uh, and wasn't emotionally supportive to me to the point of verbally putting both my son down and calling us crazy, mm-hmm. um, he also allowed our children, as did I, to slam doors in my face um, and yell at me when I was violently ill or crying. Um, He would not go for couples counseling. So I made um, one of the ultimate sins and I went and had an affair against God's will. Mm. 
which was both an emotional and physical affair. I did ended up admitting it to him, and now he's divorcing me. Um, and I just wondered um, what your thoughts were on what, um, what you wow. could say to shed some light other than the fact that I have asked for forgiveness and I've mm. changed my life. Um, just wondered if what your thoughts on do our marriage is supposed to through sickness and health do death do us part, even when mm. somebody makes a, a, a grand mistake like that. Julie, um, go ahead and give us your thoughts. Yeah, boy, uh, I'm so sorry for what you've walked through. And you just gave us a 30-second summary. But even in that summary, there's layer upon layer of grief, of disappointment, of uh, really dysfunction in the way that you guys related to each other. Uh, and thank you for being so honest about your affair. And, uh, and you know, part of this is understanding that marriage and relationships are very complex. And uh, that's why it's so important to be working with a Christian counselor, uh, somebody who's coming from a biblical perspective, but also can understand the complexity of some of the things that you're describing, uh, emotional type abuse, uh, just dysfunctional relationship patterns, taking into account the physical health, health issues you've had, your sons. There's, there's so much complexity there. But what I would tell you is you're, you can only be accountable to God for your heart. And I would encourage you, again, to seek counsel and uh, before the Lord, just to confess your heart before God, like David did in Psalm 51, with a confidence that he is going to treat you according to his mercy. You can't change your husband's perspective. You can't change his mind. We do see in scripture that God allows divorce for situations where there are hard hearts and an unwillingness by one person to work through the issues that are there. And from what you're describing, again, in a very short time, it sounds like for at least right now, that would be the case. Uh, so you just need to seek counsel and ask the Lord, you know, how do I honor you through this, knowing that you can't change your circumstances and you can't change your husband's heart? Yeah. So, so, and again, so hard to answer, Julie. Thank you for your insight and wisdom. So hard to answer in just a brief description of the situation. I would join Julie, encourage you to get counsel, as she said, uh, in your church, uh, maybe even some personal counseling and therapy through that process uh, as as well. And we're thankful for your call, your transparency. And when we get off the air, I'll take a moment just to pray for God's guidance and direction for you. I know that's that's a remarkably uh, difficult time. Julie, I, we've had so many great calls. I, I want us to go go through the four pillars you mentioned in your book and, and, and just kind of walk us through those and, and from God's sex in your marriage. Yeah, these four pillars really come from the idea that if our sexuality in marriage is supposed to be a reflection of God's covenant love with us, well, what does that practically look like? And so I drew these four pillars really out of understanding what God, how he loves us and how he calls us to love him. Uh, and there are direct parallels to things we need to be working on in the sexual relationship in marriage. So the first one is that uh, we need a foundation of faithfulness, uh, that the, the, the bedrock of covenant is your character. It's your statement that I will be true to you. I will not leave or forsake you, that I will continue to work on this relationship in good times and bad. Uh, and of course, there's all kinds of uh, ramifications of what that looks like in dealing with issues like adultery or like pornography. 
The second pillar is the pillar of intimate knowing that God, God's covenant with us is ultimately about inviting us to deep fellowship with him. And the same thing is true in the sexual relationship. Again, it's not just about activity, what our bodies are doing. It's about the invitation to share the journey of intimacy. Um, the third pillar is sacrificial love, that God loves us with an unselfish love, and he calls us to do the same with each other. And then the fourth pillar is passionate celebration, uh, that part of our covenant with God is we are called to praise him and worship him and enter into passionate celebration of his love for us. And that's the same to be true in marriage, that God created sex to be pleasurable. He created it to be something where we are vulnerable and uh, when it's working well, even willing to lose control and just enjoy each other, to be intoxicated with each other's love. And so there's this call to work towards that passionate celebration within the covenant of marriage. And, uh, you know, I think those four pillars make this practical because every single marriage could say, boy, we can work on that. We can move forward in one one or more of those pillars of our sexual relationship. Yeah, work is a key thing. So work at this. And so what would you say to the couple that's, and again, we haven't addressed every issue. There's so many things we could talk about, but in the hour we've had, what would you say to the couple that is struggling in their marriage, sexual relationship in their marriage? Uh, what work what they, might they take? And of course, I want to encourage them to 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 get a copy of uh, God, sex, in your marriage. We've got about a minute left. What would you encourage them? Sure, Ed, it's very simple. Uh, the first thing we need to do is invite God into our sex life. And uh, I said it's really simple, but most Christian couples do not do this. The vast majority of Christian couples have never prayed together about their sex life. And if sex is a spiritual battle, which it is for all of us, why would we think that we can win that battle without inviting the wisdom, the presence, and the healing of God. And so that's the first thing I think all of us need to do is tear down those barriers that make you feel like God can't help you in this area, or he doesn't care, or there's too much shame there. Uh, Just invite the presence and the help of God. So good, so good. And we're so thankful for you, Julie, talking about these important issues. The book is God, Sex, and Your Marriage. Dr. Julie Slattery has been our guest. She's a clinical psychologist, author, speaker, president, co-founder of Authentic Intimacy. The links to all of her resources can find at edstetzerlive.com. I want to encourage you to head on over there as well. So special thanks to her, but also thanks to our team, uh, behind-the-scenes team at Moody Radio, my producer, Karen Hendren, engineer, Courtney Young, and Amy Lee, man in the phones today. Tune in next week and talk to uh, Josh Clemens and Hazen Stevens about how your church can move forward on issues of racial reconciliation. Uh, to hear today's program again, you'll find it at edsetzerlive.com or on the Moody Radio app. I've mentioned it before. You can listen asynchronously anytime you want to. You can also connect with us through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the social medias at Ed Stetzer Live. All of them are at Ed Stetzer Live. And remember that Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio which is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening. Encourage you on your spiritual journey to move forward ahead.